Greetings and welcome once again to Poetry Cast. I'm your host, Jonathan Stone, and this is the third episode of this podcast series. Today's show will focus on the reading from my translations of Pablo Neruda's Love Sonnets. In case you haven't heard, tuned in before, I should explain that this podcast series explores literary theory, but does so while closely navigating around the poetry of Pablo Neruda, as interpreted by myself into English. We haven't yet heard too many of his poems, but today I'm going to remedy this. The first two episodes introduce some of my philosophy of translation and how I developed that philosophy. Today I'll read three of my translations and include some commentary with those readings. The commentary will be limited to my emotional reaction to the audible stimulus and imagery of the language, or how and why it may affect me the way it does. So let's just leap right into it with Sonnet 3, and I'll spare you my gargled Spanish accent by sticking with only my English translations. Sonnet 3. Spiked love, violet crown of thorns, blackberry vines obscure raised passions, pike of pain, crown of rage, how did you pierce my flesh and enter my soul? Why did you let fall your rain of fire so soon between the frozen leaves of my path? Who taught you the way to enter me, to take me? What blossom, what stone betrayed my contusion? True, I trembled that terrible night. The following dawn filled the crystal sky with your wine, and the new sun sanctified your celestial presence. Meanwhile, your tormenting love advanced until my body was flayed with swords, with spears, searing a bloody path through my ribs, puncturing the pulsing organ within. This is one of my favorites. Right in the opening line of my translation, I played with the word violet, which sounds much like violent, and in the context of this poem, violent would make just as much sense. Throughout this piece, the color violet acts as a repetitive concept. In other words, rather than repeating the same word throughout the poem, as traditional linguistic repetition would dictate, Neruda repeats the actual idea of the color violet by mentioning violet-colored objects, such as contusion, wine, blackberry, and perhaps even dawn. It's quite brilliant and beautiful in its subtlety. Colors certainly alter our moods, and as I read this poem, the whole poem seems to acquire a purple tint. I then find myself reading the poem through a dyed film, and that contributes to the overall impression I walk away with after turning the page. The color violet is cool and dark. It requires closer attention from its observer than any primary color. It is the result of mixing two primaries, blue and red, red aerobic blood from the heart, full of life-giving oxygen, as well as blue anaerobic blood, the opposite expended blood that must replenish itself in the lungs. Both bloodstreams must pass through the organs behind the ribs, the lungs, and the heart, behind that cage punctured by its lover's swords. This next poem is Sonnet 7, which I chose because it contains many of the same images and themes as from the last one I just read. The two seem as if they should be next to one another, as two lovers, but instead are separated by three other poems. This feeling simply exemplifies the succinct quality of Neruda's sonnets and reminds the reader that they are meant to be read together as a book, a narrative of love and passion. Sonnet 7 Come with me, she uttered. Without that, no one would know where and how she overcame my forsaken state, and she would not have opened carnations for me without nothing, without a wound suffered through love. I echoed her call, come with me, and no one saw the moon in my mouth hemorrhaging, 
No one saw that blood enriched with silence. O oh, love, let us forget that merciless furnace. Through this I heard your voice come with me as if you drowned my pain in the fury of the burning wine. Ever since your vintage submerged that flame, I have known and tasted your name on my tongue of blood incarnations, of flint and tinder. Here again, Neruda mentions a sword and a wound suffered through love. The blood returns in the sonnet, perhaps enriched not only with oxygen, but with silence. The speaker is so overcome with passion that he is submerged beneath the warm blood of his own heart. As I articulate the lines in this poem, the imagery is so tactile that I can feel the rough flint and tinder scraping my tongue. I taste the sour wine and wince at the burning stream running down my throat and through my blood. Also, I'd like to point out the call-and-response style that Neruda plays with in this piece. His lover speaks to him, and at first he has a physical response of pain followed by its alleviation. He then vocally responds to her call and experiences that pain yet again, perhaps the pain of a delayed response. This pain experienced through her silence reminds me of the intermediacy of language. Love cannot be properly expressed through language alone. One must be with their lover, touch their lover, and be touched by them. The call and response style of communication may necessarily exist, but the lips should not merely speak, but taste and kiss. In other words, it must be a physical communication instead of a verbal one, because the verbal seems to only be a wish for the physical. I'm going to read one last poem, Sonnet 11. This is another one of my favorites. The language is raw, suggesting a primal expression of love through lust and predatory desire. Sonnet 11. I hunger to taste that from which your voice ascends, because these streets cannot sustain me with their silence. They cannot sustain your breath. The soul floats away. I search for the fluid note of your, of your footprints. I hunger to hear your voice release, to feel your warm hands bake my raw lust. Then I notice your fingertips and forget the fires. I must consume your touch as I would salted almonds. I need to taste your radiance, the sovereign nose of the arrogant face, the fleeting shadow of your eyelashes. Starving, I hunt and smell twilight bleeding through the night. I search for your pulse in the darkness of my forest. seems that, once again, the two lovers are separated. The speaker hungers for his lover, and his verbal expressions are much more overt than the ones cited in the previous sonnet. If you remember Sonnet 1, which I read in the first poetry cast, he refers to her eyes as panther's eyes, and to himself as an animal. Here, he is the panther, and she is the prey. And again, he relies on his most primal senses to find her, his taste and his smell. The protagonist of this poem is acutely aware of his rabid desire. Upon reading this piece, I sense the predator's hunger, his need. The object of his desire is not something he can live without. It is necessary, like food or water, or his own blood. Furthermore, he abandons his search for his lover's voice, and instead seeks her touch, her taste, and her pulse. He seeks out her flesh, his meat, and he must consume her touch as he would salted almonds. His imagery is graphic in its details. There is no question of the speaker's sincerity. <clears throat> well, that's all we have time for today, and I hope you enjoyed the poems I read and my commentary on them. I'm not sure what the layout of, or the topic of the next show will be, but please keep an eye out for it. And if you'd like to contact me about anything, please email me at poetrycast at yahoo.com. 
I haven't had too many responses about the show yet, so let me know if you enjoyed it. And due to my time constraints, I'm going to have to continue recording only monthly programs. Oh, and if you like the program, please let others know about it. Thanks for listening.